Hello and welcome to the Ocean Rowing Club podcast, where each week I will talk to a past ocean rower to get their unique view on the ocean rowing experience. My guest this week is my good friend, James Plumley. Hiya, James. Please tell us a bit about yourself. Hello, my name is James Plumley. I'm 32, I think, uh, and I'm from the island of Guernsey. So the first row that I did was around GB and it was a race in 2013 with six crews taking part and it was non-stop around the UK and we did it as a team of four and the race was it's 1,600 kilometers and it took us 26 days to do. Then the second uh, row that I've done was the Indian Ocean row and our team was called No Great Shakes. We rode from Australia to Mauritius and there were four of us in that team and it took 70 days in total and that was an independent adventure. We like to start with the big one first. Why did you want to row across an ocean? When I was 16 in sixth form, my best friend really wanted to go to Cambridge University and he decided that the best way to get in would be to put on his CV that he was the captain of the school rowing team. But to do that, he had to start a rowing team for the first time at the school. So he gathered uh, the three people who sat around him, that included myself. And for two years, we were the school coastal rowing team. And we got to go off on Friday afternoons and just mess around and do whatever we wanted, which was incredible. Um, From then, my love of rowing has not stopped, really. Uh, I did it at university uh, on the river. And then when I started work uh, straight after university, I did a year more river rowing there. And it was while at work that um, I discovered this advert for GB Row. At the time, I was just super bored uh, doing my first job in engineering. I just couldn't wait to quit. And so when this came up, it was kind of like a prime opportunity to do something that would potentially be able to change the direction of my life or at least break up the the boredom that I had, which was basically going to work every day, a nine to five schedule, which I really just was struggling to deal with. I mean, uh, we were in it for the money, of course. <laughs> uh, we were very lucky in that the GB Row 2013 was possibly the race, well, the, the rowing race with the largest ever prize pool in history. And it was at the perfect time. Me and my friends, we'd all just finished university. We were in the middle of our first jobs. And this advert came along saying, race around the UK nonstop in a rowing boat. If you break the world record set by four Marines, you'll win £100,000 plus £15,000 if you come first. And we were like, holy cow, that's a lot of money. You know, at the time, it was sort of like, I could quit my job. I could <laughs> retire. You know, it's just such an insane amount of money. So I immediately sent this to my friend and said, look at this, check this out. Should we do this? He replied, you know, a few hours later saying, hell yes. And within a week, we had our team. And like a week after that, we had a boat. And sort of then for six months, that was our whole lives was getting prepared for this race. 
And one of the best things about doing the the row was that we got to all meet up and we were all university friends who had all spread out after university. And it was amazing just to be able to spend time together organizing this project, constantly uh, having video chats and meeting up. Because when you leave university, it's kind of a shock when you all spread out and don't see each other every two hours of the day, pretty much. And so this was like a chance to relive a bit of university life even more so on on the cramped rowing boat squashed together so yeah it was like a it's just a really fun thing to look forward to doing it wasn't didn't seem like a daunting sort of challenge because we were all rowers and sailors it just sort of made sense and because it wasn't an actual ocean per se it was just going around the uk you never really felt like you were going to be in massive danger in the middle of nowhere you're always going to probably be within sight of land or at least help could be very nearby if something went wrong so we never really considered uh, any of the negatives tell us the top three highlights of your crossings so the number one highlight for me was the first morning when we woke up in a new day and we'd set off the races started the day before and we could now ignore all the stresses of getting to the start line and making sure we had all the kit because whatever happened, we were now off and we couldn't make any changes. So it's quite a liberating experience to just leave it all behind. And for the first time, we were truly on our own. We didn't have anyone else supporting us or helping us pick out the right kit or get the right food or whatever. Now it was just the four of us and we had to make it all the way around the UK on our own without any external help and we couldn't touch land. So it was a very yeah special moment when we realized that this was from then on it was just us and we had to do it as a team together uh second highlight would be going through the scottish islands up in the north of scotland you have the i think helvellyn uh whirlpool and we went like right next to that and then we were going through the islands and you can see the land whizzing past which is quite a special thing especially in ocean rowing in general because most of the time you're in the middle of nowhere and you're just watching waves go past. You can't really tell how quickly you're moving. But when you're going next to some real solid land, you get this incredible feeling of your efforts are actually producing some something useful. And so, yeah, it's just a great feeling. And obviously, the Scottish Islands are very beautiful. And you feel a bit sheltered as well. So it's, it was a pretty magical. We had, I think we had two days going through them. And it was a great break from when we crossed the Irish Sea. And then suddenly we're in this sort of sheltered landscape and it was just very beautiful. Had some great sunsets and we saw some seals, I think. Uh, and we'd all settled really into the routine by then. We were like a third of the way. So that was a, a great time. And then also, obviously, coming up the Thames on the home stretch, basically we had to cross underneath Tower Bridge to finish. And as soon as we were on the Thames, we pretty much knew that we were going to break the record because we were going with the tide and we just had to not crash or not beach on some bit of sand and we would break the record. We also had uh, a sort of a media boat with some family and friends all shouting at us for the last four or five kilometers. So it was really, really special. And uh, yeah, I think from then on, like we were completely delirious. Um, we were also high on uh, Tramadol which we had taken uh, early in the morning to help us actually sit down on the rowing seats. For the Indian Ocean Road, about halfway through the row, we were 
going along. It was a nice, serene, calm, lovely day. And it was two o'clock or something in the afternoon. And I was rowing with uh, Barry, I think. And suddenly we saw the plume of uh, spray from a whale about 100 meters away. Immediately we both shouted, whale, whale, like to get the others out of the cabin. They jumped out. And then before we knew it, there were two whales coming up towards the boat and we could see them they were circling around us and it was just like incredible they were just these huge creatures far bigger than the boat and they were sort of in charge we were in their their land in really in the middle of the indian ocean and they were just going around us and then billy put the gopro underwater to film to see if he could like catch them on the on the video underwater and uh we didn't know what he caught until later we looked at the footage on the laptop in the boat and it was incredible just to see these like the giant two whales i don't know what they were what type of whale they were but they were huge and they were just calmly floating a couple of meters under the water level with the boat and just almost within touching distance with an oar and it was just a really magical moment that you could only really have if you were rowing across the indian ocean you had to be there and this uh, explanation of that moment is awful in comparison to actually being there. The second thing was probably the day, <laughs> it was the day that the, uh, well, the Intellian system broke, which was our the, the way that we were sending data back to land to send uh, videos and blogs and stuff. Uh, <laughs> the reason it's a highlight for me is because it just meant that from when it when it broke it meant that we couldn't send anything back and we didn't have to worry about sending anything back and we didn't have to worry about doing blogs so much or videos or trying to edit videos on the laptop in the moving boat so it really just made things a lot easier in in my mind we could then just focus on the row and getting across and having a good time and we could still record stuff but you wouldn't have to think about trying to send it back and connecting the satellites with our limited data and it was just it was a lot of effort and it was sort of a stress you know it wasn't a big stress but it was something that sort of took away from actually being in the middle of the ocean and the idea that you could be disconnected and you'd hope or you'd sort of wish that you know in the middle of the ocean you might find you could be disconnected and not get any notifications on your phone or anything so for me that was a good day and then definitely the moment that we stepped off the boat in Mauritius and onto the little pontoon and a few meters on the boat, the hotel that had sort of sponsored our stay at the end had set up a little table and they had fresh fruit, fresh juice, tea, coffee, everything we could possibly want, fresh milk, whatever. And the four chairs, we each sat down and we just like all took a bite of melon or whatever and we just could not stop smiling it was just the best feeling you could ever have and it was completely euphoric and at that moment i remember we all sort of looked at each other and we we're like we would all do it instantly again just for that one moment and the buzz at that time it lasted for several hours and it was just such an incredible feeling i don't think i've ever had it same since or before it was just a moment that was perfection and could never be beaten what was the hardest part physically and what was the hardest part mentally the hardest part would definitely be the arse in, in general. And if anyone says otherwise, they're lying. It's just to sit on a seat for several weeks, months. It just destroys your, I don't know, the fat or whatever it is. And over time, you get more and more bone poking through until you're basically just sat on your cot sits or whatever, your arse bone. 
and the pain is just constant every stroke it's there and you just it is a killer pain and the only way is to like get a really new plush seat like made of lamb's wool or whatever or to take some painkillers and just hide the pain essentially which you know your body's still going through something bad but you might not feel it so it's not really a great way to deal with it it's definitely was the most pain i'd felt during the row was in the ass the hardest part mentally it's definitely the length and knowing that the there's so far to go and every two hour session that you do is such a tiny tiny fragment of the overall picture and yet two hours is a pretty long time to be rowing so it's kind of hard to get that uh juxtaposition like it's uh it feels like a hell of a long time and yet it's really nothing in the grand scheme of things so i found that as a quite hard mental challenge to not try not to zoom out too much and you've got to just stay focused on the here and the now and i think yeah that was a that was a hard for me uh for the indian ocean row the hardest part physically was the physical <laughs> motion of being sick i guess um for three days at the beginning i was sick and it's just not a very nice thing to go through physically and yeah you kind of feel trapped especially because you're yeah in any normal situation you would get off the boat i guess or you know you would stop rowing or you would rest up but in this situation you you know you stay in the two hours routine you keep rowing as you can and uh yeah that was for me of the whole row those first three days were the hardest physically because of the seasickness uh mentally the hardest part probably the days that we were not making progress because we were on parachute anchor they were just killer for me the indian ocean row was an experience like beyond just rowing an ocean because my best friend had asked me to be his best man at his wedding and he had moved his wedding back to september so that he was pretty sure well he'd given me a three-week buffer on top of what I said, that it, how long it would take, so that I would definitely make his wedding. Um, and then when we got to Australia, there was bits of kit broken in transport, and we set off three weeks late, and then we set off into a storm, and we were instantly on parachute anchor for a week. And the whole way across, we were behind a schedule that we needed to be on for me to make my friend's wedding. And that was just constant stress. Like, were we rowing as hard as we could be? Were we taking too long on the changeovers? You know, I was, I had all the calculations, every everything in my diary, uh, how far we're going every day, what we needed to be doing, the, the speed we needed to be going. It was just constant stress trying to think about how we could go faster. And I was imagining how the weight of the boat was going down and then slowly we'd get faster and faster as it got lighter but that didn't really happen and then um about halfway we went on parachute tank again and i just decided that i would stop thinking about making the wedding and i just accept that I was never going to make it uh, because it was just too hard mentally to have that hope and to try and row as hard as you can for 12 hours a day non-stop it's just too much physically and mentally to, to keep that up so i said screw it I'm not going to make the wedding. That's I'll just accept that. And it made it easier. And then a few weeks later, the winds came with us and we started going faster again. And, and suddenly it was like, oh crap, if we keep this up for a few more days, then we could potentially get back on target and I could make the wedding. I think with two weeks to go before it looked like we were going to make the end, I called up my brother and I said, book the last plane ticket possible from Mauritius to get me back to Guernsey to make the wedding. So that gave me hope. I was, and it showed I had sort of faith. And I told my friend, I'm 
going to be at your wedding. I'm going to make it. Yeah. So then we got closer and closer and it was like on and off one day, you go a bit slower and you're like, oh, I'm not going to make it. And then, oh, we are going to make it. Anyway, it came down to a few hours and we landed and I had six hours to make the flight which took me all the way back to Europe and then had to catch another plane to Guernsey. And been go- I think it was 36 hours or something or something, I don't remember. And I landed 45 minutes before the wedding, ran and got changed and made it. And yeah, that was, I suppose that should have been my highlight. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that was a special moment. Excluding people and pets, which three things did you miss most while you were at sea? Definitely a hot shower. Like after a hard day, running in the mountains or cycling in the rain or whatever you just go home and you have a hot shower and everything is all right and it's the best shower you ever had and oh yeah it's just a magical feeling and that is what you crave pretty much every time you finish a two-hour session particularly in the middle of the night especially when it's raining and cold and windy but you just you can't have that like just doesn't exist on the boat the best you get is a hot meal you know which occasionally if if the sea is rough you might pour over yourself (laughs) but uh, it's not quite the same so yeah I was craving a hot shower frequently every day secondly and a huge one as well it's just time to yourself I really I think because I'm an introvert and I really appreciate just time for myself to sit and do nothing and read a book think whatever but on the boat although you you do have time to be by yourself like when you're in your sleeping bag going to sleep or whatever you're never truly alone you know there's always someone squashed next to you or you're rowing with someone else and you're chatting and listening to music so yeah I think just like time to myself I really missed um, and I really look forward to getting home and just (laughs) going to the bathroom closing the door and having 20 minutes just to myself (laughs) on, on the toilet where you can't be disturbed and it's the best thing ever Uh, and obviously walking on the boat you're pretty much scrambling or crawling in and out of the cabin and you do not use your leg muscles or your walking muscles at all really and yeah just the freedom I guess to be able to just say oh I'm going for a walk or you know I want to go outside and not row or do something different so I guess actually linking back into the one before not just walking, but being able the freedom to do what you want. On the rowing boat, you are rowing or you're sleeping or cooking or eating, but you never can just go off and do your own thing for 10 hours or say, oh, I've had enough, I'm going to stop and then I'll catch up later because you're constantly there and you're part of a team. And if you wanted to stop rowing, then someone else would have to do twice as much and that's never going to, you know, no one's going to be happy with that. So yeah, I guess it's always how I imagine being in the military where you're you're following someone else's schedule and you really can't, uh, do your own thing but I love to do my own thing so I found that quite hard as well um, for the Indian Ocean Road one breakfast for sure because <laughs> I don't know what happened but when the ordering for the breakfast freeze-dried food meals went in somehow we didn't end up with any breakfast and I don't know if that was to do with Billy because he doesn't actually like breakfast that much or some, something like that anyway I don't blame him but uh, yeah so the whole time we were eating you know five meals a day but you'd wake up in the morning and you'd have to have a chili con carne to start the day which isn't you know, particularly nice. However, 
I think it was maybe day 45 or something. I put my hand into the hatch to pick out the lucky dip meal that you get, you know, each time. And I pulled out a breakfast meal. I can't remember what it was. It was, uh, oh, maybe maybe it was muesli and fruit or something. And, and then, and then I ate it. <laughs> and uh, and then I told the others, and they were like, "What the hell? <laughs> Why did you eat it? You could have shared it." And I was like, "Nah, sorry." <laughs> and it was just incredible, like best breakfast ever. But I, there was just one had managed to get in by mistake out of the several hundred meals that we had. Anyway, it was all worth it, I guess. So that was good. Um, shade would be something else I missed in the middle of the Indian Ocean. Unless there's some clouds, you're constantly under the sun. And I don't particularly like the feeling of getting sunburnt and it's quite hard to hide from it. Like you have to wear a hat and cover your neck and long sleeve top or or you have to cover yourself in sun cream every time. It's just a lot of effort. And yeah, so I really appreciate just sitting in some shade now and you can look at the sun, but you don't have to be underneath it. That's very nice. And thirdly, uh, reading on the boats. You just can't sit and read a book. It's just no, no, there was time, but it's just not a very nice experience to be trying to read inside the cabin. So just to sit down and have the time, no stress and read a good book. I really miss that. And I look forward to doing that when I got back on land. How much training did you do before the row? Before the row, uh, we did do a lot of training. We were doing one and a half hour sessions in the gym two or three times a week where we'd do 30 minutes on the bike and then straight away 30 minutes on the rowing machine and then straight after 30 minutes running and that was really intense but we were all athletes at university well rowers so we were used to that sort of training schedule and we all pushed each other and posted times so we're all building confidence so together as a crew we were capable and together we're all equal in our fitness so it was a real confidence boost going to a start line knowing that we'd all gone through the same training we also did a little bit of ocean rowing practice but really nothing we were meant to go out for a 24-hour practice row as part of the conditions of entering the race (laughs) but we went out and after 12 hours we were just so bored of rowing up and down our estuary backwards and forwards around some boys that we just (laughs) we gave up and we quit after 12 hours, but obviously we said we had done 24. But I think that's part of not having a real goal. Like, it's very hard to sit on the rowing machine if you don't say, oh, I'm aiming for this time or this target, you know. So I think for the row, yeah, for that row, the training was right and it was a good amount. I think fitness doesn't matter too much in ocean rowing, but if you really want to go fast or if it's you want to win the race, you need to train and you need to learn how to row because you're taking a lot of rowing strokes crossing an ocean or going around the UK. And if every stroke your technique is 1% better because you've done some training, it's quite a big difference over that length of time. You know, it could add up to several hours or even a day in total, like off the end of the time. So yeah, I definitely recommend everyone to do as much rowing as possible before tackling uh, ocean rowing before the indian ocean row i don't really remember us doing much training in the gym or anything i think because three of us had done ocean rows before we were relatively confident and then robin did go and learn how to do a bit of rowing in a riverboat 
And we were doing bits and pieces in the gym, but it wasn't like training to to win a race or anything. I didn't feel like I had to go and kill myself four or five times a week in the gym. So I was just staying relatively fit and healthy. And that was the main the main tactic. And I think that was enough for the Indian Ocean Road because it was such a long row. It took 70 days that your, you know, your body adjusts anyway over that length of time. And the main thing is just to be fit and healthy at the start so that you don't get any injuries. Did you suffer with any injuries, sores, nasties or sickness? I suffer from, I guess what you call <laughs> seasickness, rowing sickness. And yeah, it, it hit me hard um, in the training for GB row. I went out and I was just sick pretty much nonstop. And I, you know, I almost couldn't keep going because it hit me too hard. So yeah, it's a tough one to overcome. And it generally just seems to take time, two or three days, and then I'm fine. But going through that is pretty hellish. And you just got to trust that your body will come through and just trying to remember to keep drinking and keep eating as much as possible, even though that was often like one uh, Snickers bar, you know, a day or something. Not much at all, because your body is just rejecting everything and saying, why the hell are you doing this to me? And your mind is saying, yeah, I agree. <laughs> Otherwise, I didn't suffer any real injuries, like the same as everyone you know, claw-like hands and blisters, but nothing major. Can you think of three songs which remind you of your rose? The three songs that remind me of GB Row. The first song is I Will Wait by Mumford & Sons. We had a stereo on and we had the, the well, the album, their new album, Mumford & Sons, had just come out in 2013. And we would play this album at least once a day. I think we were quite limited on uh, what we had on the MP3 player. So this would come on and we would just hear it and it would instantly boost morale and you never got tired of it. Uh, the second song was a huge one for us. And whenever we were low, we put on Not Giving In by Rudimental. This song just gets you pumped up. And as a team, it had the same effect on everyone. We all would start rowing harder. We'd all have a smile on our face and a grit in our teeth. Does that make sense? And uh, you could see the boat speed pick up. And like we'd all remember that we were in a race and we were not going to give up, and we were going to keep going to the end, however long, however hard it was. And this song was the epitome of that. And the third song would be Get Lucky by Daft Punk, which I think had also just come out maybe during the row or just after, and it was played like non-stop. As soon as we heard it, it became a little bit of a theme tune, and we had a big party to celebrate getting back. And this song came on, and just remember everyone, the f well, the four of us just going crazy and dancing to it. And it was just the, one of those magical moments that I'll never forget. Three songs that remind me of the Indian Ocean Row. Basically, during the Indian Ocean Row, I had a playlist on my MP3 player that I'd listen to at night. And it was just a huge, well, it was a huge number of songs. And I just put it on random. And every now and then, Nobody to Love by Sigma would come on. And it's such a uplifting song that I always was super happy and like whatever was going on all was good when that song came on the radio uh, on the mp3 player and because it was random it kind of felt like fortuitous like it was came on for a reason to pick me up so I always look forward to that uh second is all I need by air and I just remember listening to a lot of air in the middle of the row well at the start because that was the only time we had the speakers actually and then they broke so yeah, and they were quite a calming, on a good calm day, a bit of air would just 
set a really nice sort of picture, kind of being in a film, rowing across the landscape peacefully, all is good. And then most importantly, number three is Robin's techno music, which he created himself on his iPhone. Somehow he lost his music or his MP3 player broke, I think. And so he had nothing to listen to at night. And so he created his own music, which is just incredible. And uh, it's actually not bad. I think it's on iTunes. So check it out. Did you suffer with any post-adventure blues? To be honest, I don't really remember suffering from post-adventure blues. I try not to dwell too much on uh, negative emotions, I guess. I really can't remember back that far to what I was feeling. So, I don't know. Um, Before the Indian Ocean row, did I suffer any post-adventure blues? I actually don't think so, because... It was such a long adventure that I had already had the blues during the row and then I got over it. And by the time we got on land, I was just so happy that it was over. And for a long time, the memories of being on parachute anchor and going nowhere was still so strong that I couldn't really try and imagine doing it again right away, even though straight after the row I had that euphoric moment, but that was soon quashed with some realism about what it'd actually be like to do to do another 70 days at sea. It's just incredible to have done it and be able to say you've done it and then feel like you don't have to do it again. What advice do you have for future ocean rowers? So my main advice is speak to as many people as you can who have done ocean rowing and find out as much information and just absorb everything so that you're fully aware of what you're doing and what you're getting into so that there are no real surprises. Although it's nice to, you know, you can be blissfully ignorant, but actually there's a great confidence in being aware of all the risks and everything that can come and then knowing that you're prepared to deal with them. So yeah, I'd say just uh, knowledge of everything. (laughs) Learn to row, definitely. I put that Hi, I know a lot of people row oceans having never rowed before, but I would say if you want to enjoy the row and you want to do reasonably well and you don't want any injuries, you should definitely learn how to row the motion of legs, back, arms, arms, back, legs, and you'll probably save yourself injuries and you'll go faster and you'll look good in all the photos because so many times everyone's out of sync and that's just not good for efficiency or getting where you want to go. And finally, would you do it again? I really think I will, although right now I don't want to. I think the draw of the ocean is very strong and it's kind of the perfect challenge to test yourself and your friends or the crew that you're with where there's re- you're really on your own, you're completely independent. And I can see that if one of my friends said, do you want to do this? I would probably say yes, just because... You don't get to share many experiences like this in normal life. And to do it with some friends is like incredible. So for that reason, I probably would do it again. Plus, there's a bit of FOMO. And, you know, if someone said, do you want to do this? And then I said, no, I would probably regret it. So (laughs) I try not to live with too much regret. So I would naturally say yes and then worry about the consequences later if, if there are any. Massive thank you to James for sharing his story and all of his advice. He said to me he would rather row across an ocean again than have to do this recording because, as he already said, he is a bit of an introvert, but he still did it for me. And James, I'm truly grateful 
to you for doing this. James and I rode across the English Channel together in horrible weather over Easter one year, which was my first ever experience of rowing. And we were both so seasick, we were synchronised vomiting for about 30 hours until we eventually got rescued by the RNLI. On the row, when we got into the cabin after our shift, James would lie down within the first three seconds, fold his arms over his chest, shut his eyes and lay there like he was dead for two hours until three seconds before we would have to get out of the cabin and he would propel himself out the door through the hatch and to the other end of the boat in one swift move and we would start our vomit cycle again for the next two hours. How we both went on to row across major oceans after that experience, I will never know. If you're an ocean rower and would like to share your story, please get in touch the ocean rowing club at gmail.com or via Instagram at the ocean rowing club. If you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to rate and review and give it five stars on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and like and share and recommend it to all of your friends. And don't forget to join us again next week when we have our first pairs rowing experience. Toodle pip.